0: in lonely to Thee, O
1: Israel. So Emmanuel means God with us, and God is with us. Today we learned that everything changes for us, everything changes. So we're going to be looking together in Matthew chapter 1. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles. Uh, there's Bibles in the seat in front of you there. You can turn your phone or your tablet on. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be in beginning in verse 18. And so what I want you to do is just kind of listen um, as Matthew 1:18 is read for us right now.
2: Matthew 1:18 through23. and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us.
1: So Matthew writes this story with just one goal in mind, that you and I would understand that at the very center and the very heart of Christmas season is Jesus. This person, Jesus Christ. So he begins in verse 18 of Matthew 1. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So what he's doing is he's telling about the most significant of all of births, the most significant birth of all. Now, all of us have a birth story, right? We all remember uh, somebody telling us about our birth, and especially his parents and especially grandparents, right? We like to tell the story of the birth of our kids or our grandkids. And, of course, our birth story is the very best birth story, and our baby is absolutely Judas
0: um, Jerry and Elena Ooh. here. Where is the cute little snuggly baby? Isn't he gorgeous? Ooh. Where is not <laughs> <Is> he gorgeous? <laughs> oh, look, he's gorgeous, yes. Yeah,
2: so very gorgeous. Is it me or was that the ugliest baby you have ever seen?
0: Oh, I couldn't look. It was like a Pekingese.
2: Boy, a little too much chlorine in that gene pool. And you know, the thing is, they'll never know. No one's ever gonna tell them.
0: Oh, you have to lie.
2: Oh, it's a must-lie situation.
0: Yes, it's a must-lie situation.
1: So why on earth is Matthew writing? He's not even related to this particular baby. Why is Matthew writing this particular story? Why would he write about this birth? Well, look again, verse 22. Matthew, after telling about this event with Joseph, kind of summarizes or at least gives commentary when he said this, all this took place, all this meaning the birth of Jesus, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And so as we just heard the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we recognize that because of Jesus, God is now with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So what does that mean for you and I? As we think about this baby being born, As we think about this baby coming into the world, as we think about this name, Emmanuel, God with us, what does that mean to you and I? I think God with us, first of all, brings hope. And some of us desperately need the hope that can come from God. Now, if you've ever set out to read maybe the Bible, maybe you, you got challenged this year as we talked about God's Word, and so you decide, I'm going to read in, starting in Genesis, or I'm going to read the New Testament starting in Matthew, it can be a little challenging if you begin in Matthew, because here's how Matthew begins, Matthew 1 and verse 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and you start thinking, is it just names? You know, the next 17 verses are names, most of which we can't even pronounce. Why would Matthew begin his letter in such a boring fashion? You want people to read it, don't start with the genealogy. The reason is is because the attention is not on the birth itself, but the significance of the one who's being born. In other words, it's significant because of its lineage. Because Matthew, what he does is he answers a question that every Jew would have asked if someone claimed to be king of the Jews, which is what was claimed about Jesus. Their question would be, is he a descendant of David through the rightful line of succession? And Matthew answers that absolutely yes. The child was significant because of his lineage, but he's also significant, as we read here, because of its conception. So two different times in this brief account that Matthew gives us, he talks about this miraculous conception, this supernatural divine intervention in the birth of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18 says, his mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 20, he says, don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So two different times, Matthew makes it really clear to us that this is a supernatural birth. This is an, uh, an unusual birth here. It was clear that it was a divine conception. Now, this is not this notion of a pagan god having sexual relationships with a woman so this baby could come about. This is the creative power of Almighty God at work within Mary to accomplish his purposes. And it's significant because Mary was a virgin, Jesus was fully human. But because she was conceived of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is fully divine. And both of those pieces are crucial to our understanding of how God works in our lives. He's fully human, meaning he can understand all of the things that you and I go through and deal with. But he's also fully human so that he can deal with the sin that you and I struggle with, but he overcomes that. But he's fully divine because that is necessary for the power and the work of God to accomplish his will. So Jesus is fully human, and he's fully divine. But he's also significant because of the mission that is revealed here. So when the angel appears to Joseph and keeps him from acting on his plan, the angel reveals God's plan. So again, back in verse 20, But after he had considered that, this is Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So he says to Joseph, you're to name the boy Jesus. Now, Joseph would not have thought that to be all that unusual because the name Jesus was one of the most popular names in Israel of that time. Now, I looked it up, so when I was born in 1961, yeah, a couple years ago, the most popular baby names was not Doug, but it was Mary and Michael. Do we have any Marys or Michaels out there today? There we go, some of you, popular name. Anybody want to guess as to what the most popular names in 2019 are for a girl or a boy? Anyone? Olivia. Olivia. Exactly right. And Liam. Olivia and Liam. So Joseph is hearing the angel say, you're going to name him Jesus. He doesn't think that's all unusual until he adds the second part because he will save his people from their sins. See, Boys were oftentimes named Jesus in anticipation of the hope of God, Yahweh's intervention into this world, the promise of the Messiah who was coming. But the name Jesus is even more symbolic because the name Jesus means God helps or the one who saves. And so when he says, name him Jesus, He's not just giving him a name, he's talking about what he's here to do, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jews, a good Jew understood that the Messiah was, co- was going to come and he was going to save them, but their picture of that salvation was a nationalistic kind of a picture, In other words, he was going to save the nation of Israel by getting rid of all those dirty, rotten Romans and putting Jesus on the throne. And so he would be the political power and he would rule everything. That's never been God's plan. wasn't then, and it still isn't today. He will save his people from their sins. The plan of God has always been, the mission of Jesus has always been to bring salvation by forgiving our sins, by being a ransom on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. In fact, that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel to ransom captive Israel is to recognize that not just Israel, but the whole world is held captive to sin. But Jesus would ransom captive Israel. How? By giving his life on the cross, by sacrificing his life. In other words, that baby Jesus was born all for the purpose of dying for your sins and mine. But I think the most significant reason this child came into this world was because of God's gracious presence in our life. So Matthew you know, tells this story, and then he kind of gives this commentary. Again, verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Isaiah is the prophet who's writing this, and Isaiah is writing these words some 700 years before Jesus Christ came. So as I said at the beginning of the service, God's been planning for the Messiah to come, not just since Isaiah's time, but for literally hundreds and thousands of years. Now I turned 50 many years ago, and when I turned 50, it was also the 30th anniversary of me being a preacher. And so my wife Through a great celebration for me. I mean, she spent weeks and even months preparing and planning. She made me feel very special during that time. I mean, she is an amazing woman. God wasn't just planning for weeks or for months or even for years for the Messiah to come. If you read through Scripture, there's hints about the coming of one to save us that goes all the way back to the beginning of time. That's how much God loves you. Even before you were born, God was planning and preparing the salvation of our sins. And what was his plan? His plan was to always be with us. And so what Matthew's doing is he's pointing back to this prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. See, Matthew is acknowledging God's sovereign work and plan. He's saying God's already been planning this since the beginning of time, and that plan is to bring us back into his presence, to bring us back into a relationship, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, where we can walk with God and talk with God, and where life is perfect to have a relationship with us. But how would he accomplish that? He would do it through the cross. So God with us, Emmanuel, it brings hope through the salvation of Jesus on the cross. And that's a message Joseph needed to hear. That's a message you and I need to hear, which leads to our second understanding that God with us not only brings hope, but it brings significance. God with us brings significance. Now, Jesus is the one who's central to this story. No matter the other pieces that are going on, Jesus is the one that's central to the story. But I love it how God invites us in. I mean, Joseph, how significant really was Joseph in this story? How necessary was Joseph in this story? Not necessary at all. But I love that about God. He invites you and I into his story. And let's place it, you and I are just not all that important to God being able to carry out his will on this earth. So I had a small claim to fame when I was a junior in high school. I was in a high school musical. Now, don't ask me whatever possessed me. It was probably some girl who talked me into doing that. I don't know. But I was in this high school musical. Um, It was the last time I ever did anything like that because it was the worst experience I could ever have. But my role was so insignificant that there was a couple times where I forgot to go across the stage when I was supposed to, and nobody even noticed it. Now, my daughter had a lead in her senior year of her play, and if she hadn't walked out on the stage, they would have noticed it. But I was so insignificant, no one would have noticed that. And the reality is, you and I are so insignificant in God being able to carry out His plan, and yet, He invites us into the story. He's the one who gives us significance. And Joseph is ins- insignificant, and yet God invites him in. Part of it, he's a descendant of David, right? Of course, Joseph didn't have a lot to do with that because you can't pick your parents, but he's a part of that lineage. But it shows that God is working in your life and my life even before we're born. But obviously, Jesus needs care and protection. As you read about the Christmas story, Herod kind of freaks out. He's the king. He hears hears that another king has been born. And so the angel appears to Joseph and tells him, what, you need to take the baby, keep him safe. So a part of Joseph's role was protection and care for this baby as he grew up. Part of it was teaching. I mean, when Jesus shows up in the temple at age 12, he already knows what his purpose in life is. And Part of that, he gets that because he's divine. But part of it, he gets that because Joseph has taught him. But none of those are significant to the story, and yet God invites Joseph in to be a part of that. And so What we learn is that when you and I choose to follow God's leading and His will in our lives, He's the only one who can give us significance. And He invites us in. He invites us to be a part of His story. He invites us into making a difference. So let me give you a couple of simple lessons in regard to God's significance and calling us to significance. Number one, God's invitation often will lead us down a path of difficulty. So when God invites you, to be a part of his story, which he does to all of us. Oftentimes, it's gonna be tough. So there's a part of Joseph's story that I think it's easy for me as a guy to empathize with, right? Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus comes about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So how does Joseph handle this situation? So part of it is got to have an understanding of Jewish culture when it comes to engagement and to marriage. So in the Jewish culture, there were basically three parts to this whole process of marriage. There was the contract, there was the consummation, and there was the celebration. So the contract oftentimes was the agreement, sometimes between dads, but kids were often involved in this agreement, but a contract was made. In other words, there was gifts given Um, agreements were made and so once the contract was cemented a couple according to Jewish law they were legally married now they didn't consummate the marriage they didn't live together for maybe a year or two years or even three years down the road but that's why Joseph had to divorce her because by Jewish law they were legally married at the point of the contract now that Sounds a little bit unromantic, right? I mean, you sign a contract, you're going to get married. Isn't life wonderful for you? But that year or two years or three years was a time spent getting to know each other, talking together, writing notes, giving gifts to each other, spending time getting to know one another. And in the midst of that time, during the contract stage, it says she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And isn't it strange how quickly, almost overnight, dreams can turn into nightmares and your best plans can be shattered? And so Joseph faces this personal dilemma. What am I supposed to do here? Because on the one hand, you know, if, if I go ahead with the marriage, I'm condoning what she did, this act of adultery, at least the act of adultery in his mind. But the other hand, he cared for her deeply and he knew that if he divorced her publicly, according to Jewish law... Because of adultery, she could be stoned to death. And he loved her, and so he didn't want that to happen. So he's facing this. He's wrestling with this particular decision. But all along this time, God's still working in Joseph's life. He's still leading Joseph the path that he wants him to go. And what we learn and realize is just because I'm doing what God wants me to do doesn't mean I'm not going to have struggles or difficulties. Following God's will doesn't equal a smooth journey. In fact, oftentimes, when you make a decision, you read in God's Word and you realize this is what God wants you to do. This is how He wants you to obey Him in this area of your life. Oftentimes, when you make that decision, what you face is more difficulties at the beginning. Sometimes you face a more difficult road when you choose to follow God's will, which leads us to ask the question, do I really trust God? I mean, if I'm reading and I think, that's what God wants me to do. He wants me to be a person who tells the truth or is wise with how I handle my money, who loves my enemy or who takes care of my family. And I read that and that's not the way I normally am in my life. And so I begin to make that choice and life gets tough. It's easy for me to step back and say, wow, am I, is this really the way I should go? Do I really trust in God? Because true trust involves, I step ahead in obedience even when I don't know what it's going to look like down the road. It's not a blind leap into the dark. And the reason is because of the second lesson with God making us significant. It is this. God's invitation will include his loving um, intervention. That God will always be by our side. So thankfully, as Joseph is wrestling with this dilemma, the angel shows up. Verse 20 says Joseph son of David don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins now this is a pretty dramatic intervention of god right <coughs> we probably won't have that kind of dramatic intervention i've never had an angel appear to me and tell me I need to do something. I mean, my wife's an angel, obviously. But other than that, I've never had an angel show up and say, Doug, this is what you're supposed to do. This is the choice that you're supposed to make. We may not have, probably won't have this kind of encounter, but we will encounter unexpected intervention along the way that helps us to know of God's presence in our life. I think that's part of the reason why God gives us a spiritual family. We need the church. We need others in the, in the church who can encourage us and help us think things through, who can talk about the wisdom of God's Word and how it impacts us and makes a difference in our life. That's why God gives us His Word. That's why we need to be spending every day reading in God's Word, because that's how God guides and directs us. In fact, Psalm 119, 105 says, your Word is a lamb for my feet and a life for my path. God's Loving intervention reveals his presence, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us no matter what's going on in my life. I love how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Why is that? Because God is with us. He is Emmanuel. So where do you need God's intervention in your life? Sometimes it's a tough thing because we don't always sense or feel God's presence, right? We feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, God, but I don't always sense and feel God's presence. Maybe God's trying to intervene, but you're just holding him at arm's length. You know, maybe you had some kind of negative past experience with church or somebody that you trusted and so you kind of hold God at arm's length as well because it's hard for you to trust. Maybe God's trying to guide, but you're just ignoring His direction. It's real plain. You've heard it from multiple sources, but you just, rather than following that, you, you're just ignoring that. Maybe He's trying to comfort you, but is it possible that you've turned your back on God? See, that's one of the struggles with <clears throat> this sense That there are times in my life that I don't always sense or feel that God is with me. You you need to understand that it is never God who's changed or moved. But it is us who allows things to get in the way. Not always bad things, but they get in the way. And suddenly there's this gulf between us and between God. And so maybe it's time to look in the mirror and recognize that God has been intervening in your life all along. Maybe it's time to just thank him and say, God, what do you you need me to do? What step do you need me to take? God with us, Emmanuel. We need to hold on to that promise. God is with us, and that means everything has changed. I mean, there's hope for us now. Even when it seems like there's none, there is always hope because God's the one that gives us significance and meaning in life. I want to encourage you this week, every morning wake up and just say that name, Emmanuel, and then say, God with us. And then say, God, thank you that I know that you are always present working in my life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love, your presence. Lord, even at times where we don't feel it, um, the promise is true that you are there, you are with us. And so, Lord, help us to be people with open hearts and minds, with humble hearts that, Lord, are willing to turn to you in whatever way that might look like. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with a sense of your presence, that we would recognize that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel, Father, and it's in your most precious name we pray, amen.